morning, church. Morning and welcome to Riverside. So glad uh, all of you are here in the house today. Thank you for being with us. And for those who are watching online, thank you for joining us as well. It's a new month. It's hard to believe it's November. It's hard to believe we're at this point in the year. But as we enter into November, sort of a season of Thanksgiving, a season of gratitude, I wanted us to lean in together as a church into this idea of prayer. And so I thought really hard and long about a very creative title for the series and finally landed on calling this The Lord's Prayer. I know you're impressed. But uh, I, hope, I hope that this will be an incredible time for us as a church to think about not just the idea of prayer, not just any prayer, but what Christians for, for nearly two millennia have called the Lord's Prayer. And what I'd like to do uh, over these next few weeks is for us as a church to be praying this prayer together, both, both when we gather in this place, but also I would encourage you in your own time with the Lord to be praying the words of this prayer. Today, what I'd like to do is invite you to stand. Go ahead and stand up where you are. And let's, if you would, join me in praying these words out loud, the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, if you grew up in church, then no doubt those words are familiar to you. But even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably, you probably know those words, the words to that prayer. These, these words are often prayed, you know, by a football team before or after a game. They're prayed uh, at weddings and at funerals. We hear them in different places and spaces in our lives. They're, they're part of the liturgy of our lives. And somewhere along the way, you probably became familiar with these words that we often call the Lord's Prayer. But as we begin this series today, I want to ask you to think about this prayer by asking you to think about this question. And here's the question. I want you to answer this, not out loud, but just answer this in your own heart, in your own mind. What does God look like? What does God look like? And here's why I ask that question. Because all of us probably have an image of God, a picture of God. And that picture of God that you carry, the picture of God that you have in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, the one that you carry around with you, it reveals what I believe is the most important thing about you. Because the most important thing about you, at least I think, is what you think about when you think about God. And whatever that image of God is that you have, whatever picture of God you carry, my guess is it probably goes all the way back to your childhood. Because somewhere along the way, somebody taught you about God, either directly or indirectly. I grew up in a, in a Christian home with Christian parents. Uh, my, my parents taught me about God. My grandparents taught me about God. People like you at the church I attended when I was growing up, they taught me about God. And somewhere along the way, through learning from them about what God was like, I developed this, this picture of God. And in so many ways, I carry it with me to today. And, and, and I'm, my guess is that's everybody's story. Even if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, even if you didn't grow up going to the church, somewhere along the way, somebody taught you about what God is like and they gave you this image of God. And that's important for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons it's so important is because 
when you learned about God, when you developed this picture of God that you carry with you and you carry even to today, they taught you whether or not you could even trust God. I love hearing stories or seeing pictures of how kids see God. In her book, How Kids See God, Monica Parker collected pictures from over 300 kids, ages 4 to 12, pictures that, that they drew when they were asked to draw a picture of God. I thought you might like to see a couple of these. These are pretty amazing. Uh, so a kid named Brandon drew this picture of God. Uh, he pictured God as a superhero with red hair. And that, that's pretty cool. Anybody like that? Uh, I love Gabby's picture. Gabby drew a picture of God with a long white beard and then really big ears because she wanted God to be able to hear everything that we have to say. I like, I like God with big ears. Some of you like it too. We won't get into why. But uh, Michaela drew a picture of God uh, with this advanced cloud technology uh, sitting behind his desk with screens all around him so he can answer your email, your prayers, however that works out. That's what Michaela had in mind. My favorite, though, is Olivia. Uh, she drew a picture of God with this cheesy grin uh, with lightning bolts in his hands. And if you look closely, he's got some uh, major armpit hair going on. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that's about. I don't know what your picture of God looks like. I don't know if I asked you this morning to draw a picture of God, which you would come up with. But I think it's really important because it affects every area of our lives. And maybe what's most important is it affects how we pray or how we spend time with God in prayer. Albert Haas once wrote this in his book on the Lord's Prayer. He said, our image of God, it's one of the most, if not the most important aspects of the spiritual life. And think about that. The way you pray, the way you spend time with God in prayer, that's probably directly connected to your picture of God. Whether you see God with big ears ready to listen to what you have to say or if you picture God with thunderbolts in his hands or if you picture God with, a, with you know, screens all around him answering all the questions and all the prayer requests of the world or you picture God with a, a superhero cape ready to come to the rescue whenever you call. However you picture God, however you imagine God, that probably is directly connected to how you pray, what you pray and how you spend time with God in prayer, your image of God, how you see God, how you picture God. It's one of the most important things about you and about your spiritual life. And for a lot of us, I think what happens is that whatever that childlike image of God was that we were given or we received, that we carry with us even to this day, it's still the image of God that we have. We haven't updated the picture frame. We haven't changed out the picture of God. We've gotten older. We've matured, but our picture of God hasn't matured with us. So now here we are, some of us in our 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s or older. And the image of God that we have is still that image we had of God as a child. And I think that's something important for us to think about, right? Because Having a childlike faith, having faith like a child, that's something Jesus encouraged us to have, right? But to have a childlike image of God that leads to immature faith, I think that's something that Jesus would challenge and encourage us to change. So as the story goes, one day, one of the disciples of Jesus came to him and asked him, a question, and, and I love this question. I love how Luke sets up 
the Lord's Prayer in his gospel story. There's two gospel writers that, that give us the Lord's Prayer, uh, Luke and Matthew, and their story of Jesus. They, they, they share these words, this teaching of Jesus, teaching his disciples how to pray. Luke 11, Luke tells us how this all started. One of the disciples of Jesus came to him and said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus answered that question. He said, yes, absolutely. I'm going to teach you how to pray. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I'd encourage you to open up to, to Luke 11 or Matthew 6. Both have the Lord's Prayer very similar. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off Matthew 6, Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. And I want, you to hear, I want you to hear how Jesus taught these disciples to pray. I think it's incredibly interesting, incredibly powerful, and there's something for all of us as disciples of Jesus to learn. He begins with these words, the words we've prayed already this morning. Our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. If I had time, I would literally break down every word in this prayer. Every word is so important, and Jesus doesn't waste a single word. That may be something you want to do in your quiet time with the Lord this week. I would encourage you to do that. But I want you to hear the words that he begins with, that Jesus begins with when he teaches his disciples to pray. He begins with these words, powerful words, our Father. I don't know about you. I don't know what it's like, what your prayer life is like. I'll just confess in my own life, when I pray, I don't, I don't very often begin with the word our. And I think for a lot of us, this is what we do. We make prayer all about us. It's all about me and myself and I. I'm going to pray about what I want, what I need, my desires, my, my situation, my context, my job, my marriage, my stuff, whatever it is. I'm going to pray all about all the things that I've got going on. But when I begin with the word our, I mean, automatically everything begins to change, right? Because when I begin in the context of our, I'm always praying with others in mind. Whenever we begin, and we begin with the word our, our Father, we begin with others in mind. We can still be praying for what we need and for our request and for the things that are heavy on our hearts and that are going on in our lives. But when we, we pray in the context of our, all of a sudden it changes, it changes our prayer. We it keeps us from being so selfish, so self-centered, so self-absorbed when we remember we're praying to, to our Father. So, so my God isn't just my God, he's our God. And he's not just my Father, he's your Father. And he's Father to my friends and he's Father to my enemies. He's Father to my neighbors and he's Father to people literally around the world as Mike has already so beautifully reminded us of this morning. This is what happens when we pray to God and we begins with the word, we begin with the words, our Father. And I think it's significant too, right? That he doesn't, Jesus doesn't teach his disciples to pray, our God or our King or our Lord. He certainly could have. He says, pray this way, pray with the words, our Father. The very same word that Jesus would have used of his own earthly dad when he was growing up, the same name that he would have called Joseph, Father. He now teaches his disciples to pray. Pray this way, pray our Father. And I know like for us in this room, it's, it probably that didn't sound like a very big deal, but I can almost guarantee you when Jesus was teaching this on this day, that, that as those that had drawn close to lean in to listen, how was Jesus going to teach his disciples to pray? When he said these first two words, 
pray this way, our Father. I can almost guarantee you jaws hit the ground. This was scandalous. Yahweh deserves so much respect, so much honor, so much worship, so much awe. When we, when we, when we pray to Yahweh, we don't even say that name if we hold it in such high regard. We certainly wouldn't call God by the same name I called my dad growing up. But when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, I want you to pray this way. I want you, I want you to use the word Father. And in doing that, he's not taking anything away from the awesomeness of God, from the reverence of Yahweh, but he's adding to their image of God something that he wanted them to have, a new way of seeing God, a new way of imaging God, a new way of picturing God. See God this way, Father. And here's why this is so important, because in changing their relationship, in changing their image of God, he changes their relationship to God. When he teaches these disciples to pray this way, pray our Father, he changes their image of God. And when he does, he changes their relationship to God. See, when they thought about God, just like you and me, they carried with them into this adulthood childlike images of God. When they thought about God, they thought about the God that they had heard stories of all of their life. They grew up as Israelite children, children of Israel, literal children. They grew up in their homes hearing stories about, about what God had done, what the God of the Israelites had done, how God had delivered them from Egypt into the promised land, how God had met them at Mount Sinai and given them the law of Moses, the word of God for the people of God. So when they thought about God, this is the God they thought about. They thought about God who was the deliverer, God who was the lawgiver, right? But now they've grown up and that image of God really hasn't changed all that much. And the problem for them at this moment in time is that it's been some 400 years since there's been any new word from God, any new revelation from God, any prophet from God. Any, it's been 400 years since anybody like Moses or Elijah has come along. And if they were to be really honest, they would say it feels like, it seems like God is distant. And that God who was known or who is known as a deliverer, where is he now? Because there's a new superpower in town. Egypt's gone, but now there's Rome and we're living under their oppression. And that law that he gave us at Mount Sinai, it's been turned into a written code of 633 commands. And if we don't keep them all exactly right, then the religious leaders are going to kick us out of the synagogue. And so now God who once was the deliverer now feels distant. God, who was the lawgiver, now feels like a rule enforcer. This is the image of God. So Jesus wants to give them a new image of God. And he says, I want you to think about God this way. I want you to pray to God this way. When you pray, pray our Father. And I want to pause right there because I know for a lot of people, a lot of you in the room, those who are watching online, that, that may that may not be the most helpful way for you to picture God. Because if we're really honest, for a lot of people, their earthly father maybe wasn't all that great. And so then to now imagine God as father, that's a hard image to wrap your heart and your mind around. And I just want to acknowledge that pain. I want to acknowledge that point. I, I know that's a real thing. But I also want to say this, because that, 
I think this happens for all of us, whether you had a great dad or you, or you didn't. I think what, what we've done is we've allowed our earthly fathers to define what it means to be father. And I think what Jesus would say is he would want to flip that. I think G, what Jesus would say, he would say, I, I, I want you to, to let God define the word father. I want, you to, to, I want you to see God and to know God as Father and let Him be the one that defines that word for you and for your life. And we sing the song, God, you are a good, good Father. And I love that song. It's a great song. But I want you to know God isn't just a good Father. God is a great Father. He is the perfect Father. And whatever image you have when you hear the word Father, I want you to have the image that Jesus has of Father. And that's of your Father God, the image of a father who would never fail you, never hurt you, never leave you, never abandon you, never disappoint you, never discourage you. This is the picture of God that Jesus wants his disciples to have, that, that your God is your father. And he's not, he's not like your earthly father. For those of us who are earthly fathers, for those of us who are earthly mothers, let's let God set the standard. And, and it may feel unattainable, but let's, let's try to, to rise up to that. Let's not allow ourselves to set the standard and then be disappointed with the fathering of God. What's so amazing about this is when we allow God to be the one who defines the word father, then it opens the door for us to begin to receive healing for those father wounds that so many of us carry. God, Jesus says, is our father, and he's not just any father. He is the perfect father. But by changing the relationship to God and changing their image of God, Jesus wants these disciples to also know there's one thing that is unchanging, and that's the holiness of God. So he says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. In other words, we don't pray with any pretense. We don't pray with any kind of hypocrisy. We, we, we don't ascribe praise and worship and honor to God in one setting on one day of the week, in one place, in one room, and then go live any way we want, say anything we want, act any way we want, post anything we want in today's world, Right? Like this is what it means to keep the name of God holy in and out of prayer. What we, the, the words we speak on Monday declare the holiness of God just like the words we speak when we gather on Sunday. The, the conversations we have with our friends on Friday, they proclaim the holiness and the greatness of God just like the songs of praise and worship we sing on Sunday. This is, this is Jesus' way of saying we don't take the name of the Lord our God in vain. And so if you hear me say something like, oh my God, then you know that I'm either lost in worship or I'm deep in prayer because I would never, ever disrespect the name of the Lord, my God. What's unchanging about God is the holiness of God. And, and if you want to have the life that Jesus had, if you want to live the life that Jesus lived, a life that's, that's filled to the brim and overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit, with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, compassion, all these things that just exemplified the life of Christ, then pray this prayer. Our Father in heaven, 
May your name be kept holy. This is the image of God that Jesus gave his disciples. And I think he did that because he knew that for them, their greatest hindrance to their spiritual growth was their image of God. Which makes me wonder, what if the greatest hindrance to my spiritual growth, to your spiritual growth, is your image of God? There's a story about uh, this priest who was asked about his image of God, and he told the story from his childhood. He remembered when he was a kid growing up, his mother was an incredible cook. She made the most wonderful cookies. And um, one day she was cooking one afternoon. He could smell the cookies in the house and the air. He heard the oven clang. He knew they were coming out of the oven. He ran into the kitchen and he saw his mother taking the cookies off the cookie sheet and putting them in a, in a cookie jar. And then she looked at him and she said these words, words that maybe you've spoken to your own kids or maybe your mom said to you, don't you dare sneak in here and get any of these cookies out of this cookie jar. And then she said this. She added this. Remember, God is watching you. That scarred him for life. <laughs> right? This is his image of God. And that was his image of God for a long time. A God who is the creator of so many good and wonderful and beautiful, delicious things. But a God who's waiting to catch him whenever he did something he shouldn't do. But all that changed one day when he realized what if? What if he had gone into that kitchen? What if he had gotten that cookie jar? And what if he had taken a bite out of one of those cookies? And what if God was there? And what if God was watching him? And what if God said, aren't these cookies delicious? Go ahead, have another. You see, everything begins to change when we imagine God as a good father. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that God wants you to be happy. I know that's a popular idea in American Christianity. It's not a biblical idea, but it's a popular idea. What I am saying is that your God is a good father, that he wants what's best for you, that he loves to give good things to those who ask him. What I am saying is that, that he loved you even before you ever loved him, that he knows how many hairs are on or not on your head. He knows he wants to hear every care, every worry, every desire of your heart, that he loves spending time with you, and that what he wants for you is for you to understand just how much he loves you. What he wants for you is for you to hear him speak over you the same words that he spoke over his son Jesus at his baptism when he said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He wants you to hear those same words over your life. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. He wants you to understand how he sees you. And how much he loves you. And if you can get to that point in prayer when you can hear God speak these words over you. I love you. It changes absolutely everything. This is important for a thousand reasons. But here's the one reason I want to give you today. When you understand in prayer how God sees you. It changes the way you see him. When you get to a point in your life in prayer, when you can begin to understand how God sees you, it changes the way you see him. 
And God wants you to see him as father. Church, if you would, let's stand. This is my contention today that for a lot of us, um, we really don't understand how God sees us. We don't really know. We can't really get our hearts and our minds to wrap around what God sees when he looks at us. And because of that, we have a really understand, we have, we have a really hard time understanding how we should see God. And in moments like that, I think this is what we always have to fall back to. This is what I want to encourage you to do is to not just depend on your feelings because feelings are real, but we can't always trust them, right? And in those moments, we have to go to truth. And here's the truth. God is your father and you are his son and you are his daughter. He may feel far away, but he's promised that he will never leave you. We fall back to truth and we remember who God is. That God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, his son, to come from heaven to earth. And there on the cross, Jesus changed the script forever and for always. There at the cross, because of what Jesus did through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, you and I now have the opportunity to step into the waters of baptisms ourselves and to become sons and daughters of God. And this morning, as we close this time, I want to I want to invite you into a time of prayer. I'm going to ask our elders that are in the room to make their way around the back of the room. And this morning, if you need someone to pray over you, someone to pray with you, someone to pray for you, if you're in a season of life where you don't, you're not sure you can even pray right now, you just need someone to usher you into the presence of God, I don't want you to know they would love to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you. If you have a hard time right now understanding how God could even see you as a son, as a daughter, I want you to know they would love to pray with you and pray for you. If you want to step into the waters of baptism yourself, maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never confessed Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life and you want to become his child, they would love to help you. I would love to help you with that. But what I want for us is to understand that this is who God is and this is how much he loves us. And Jesus teaches us we get there through prayer. So I want us to pray this prayer one more time. I'll pray it over you. And then Zach's going to introduce a new song that we're going to sing as a part of this series to encourage us in the same way as well. This is our prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, would you give us today our daily bread? Forgive us of our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us, deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory and the honor forever and ever, world without end. And the church says, amen.